welcome to this first podcast from Food and Drink Federation Scotland, which is an industry funded trade association representing food and drink businesses of all sizes. So that's your small Scottish family businesses right through to global brands. And we're part of a UK overarching association called the Food and Drink Federation. We're going to run a series of podcasts, which is looking at key issues for food companies today. And we're going to start off with reformulation which I'm delighted about because I actually head up the diet and health policy team at FDF. My name's Kate, Kate Halliwell, and I'm joined by two people who I think are going to be able to give us some real insight into what can be a tricky area for companies to navigate when you think about what should you do? Should I get involved? Is it important anyway? Actually, I've got this really strong product and I'm really nervous about changing it. Those those sorts of questions are ones that all companies face, whatever their size. And so we're going to hopefully address some of those through this podcast. So uh, I am here today with Joanne Burns, who is Reformulation for Health Manager at FDF Scotland. And Joanne's role actually is a great example of how government and industry can work together because she's actually funded by Scottish government. So they pay her way but she actually works for FDF Scotland, so the industry body. And also with us is David Craig, and he's the director at Levercliffs. And they provide advice for food and drink companies uh, on businesses and product categories. And why it's really great to have David with us is that he recently conducted some research for us, which was really looking at consumer attitudes. And of course, as a business, what consumers think about this is really, really important. But Joanne, maybe if I just start with you and just uh, give us the idiot's guide. What is reformulation? Reformulation, put simply, altering a recipe for a product to make it healthier. One of the key things, though, to keep in mind is it's not just about removing things. Yes, reformulation is about reducing fat, salt and sugar and overall calorie counts for a product. But one of the key things with formulation of what we're really trying to communicate to food manufacturers, it can also be about what you can add into a product. So we're also looking at increasing the fibre content of products and also looking at increasing the fruit and vegetable content of products. For the Reformulation for Health programme, all of our aims are based around the Scottish dietary goals. That's really interesting, actually, isn't it? Because I think quite often when companies think about reformulation, we're thinking about what you can take out and the sugar targets and salt targets. And, you know, we've all heard of those. But so it's great to hear it actually covers those other elements, which are, of course, really, really important for a diet. And just thinking about consumers then, because reformulation to me sounds a bit techie. Do consumers actually kind of know what it is or that it's going on, David? So, yeah, when we spoke to consumers, um, almost 70% of consumers support the idea of reformulating products. Um, so it's a really high number, and it just shows that people are pretty open to the fact that suppliers are going to change products. And actually, they actually said that they want suppliers to actively reformulate products as well. So, so it's really strong support there. And I suppose just thinking about consumers again, you know, 90% of consumers say that they've got some type of health goal. So, you know, that's a, a really high number. But what our, our research did find was that although consumers have got this overall health goal, they don't really understand their own diet and what they're actually eating particularly well, because they think they're being quite healthy and they're making active choices. But if you look at the Scottish diet, as, as I'm sure Joanne will back up, 65% of our Scottish adults are overweight. So there's really, there is a disconnect there between what people think they're doing and what they're actually doing. Interesting. 
And I guess, I mean, a bit in the way that we sometimes just talk about the food industry as if it's one thing, it's probably pretty dangerous to just talk about the consumer as if they're one person. And I'm guessing there must be different attitudes within that. Absolutely. And in this research that we did, you know, we asked over a thousand consumers lots of different questions. And we'll only be able to scratch the surface on this podcast today. But what we've done is break it down into five different consumer profiles so that we can think about how different people think about their diet and reformulation in particular. And there was two real biggies that came out. So a third of consumers we've called the confident eaters. So these are people that are pretty confident that they are leading a healthy diet and making good diet choices. They're supportive of what the government are doing. They actually support reformulation and they're looking at nutrition of the food that they're eating. So they're in a good place. And then we've got another group, which is just about a quarter of consumers, and we've called them I'm fine as I am, thanks. So, you know, quite different to the confident eaters. These people have not got quite as healthy habits, but they're, they're all right with that. They don't want the nanny state government to come in and say, you can't eat your hamburger anymore. You need to eat something else. And those confident eaters then, are they confident and therefore almost a, so I am fine as I am because I'm confident in the choices that I'm making? Or do they also actively seek out ways to be healthier, do you know? We found that they're actively looking for products that offer nutritional benefits. So they're, they're engaged consumers that are thinking about nutrition and looking, making kind of more informed choices. And probably what's quite important between confident eaters and the I'm fine as I am, thanks, is income levels. So the confident eaters um, are tend to be ABC1 consumers, so a bit higher income, whereas I'm fine as I am, thanks, moving towards MC2DEs. Real connection between how much money you've got in your pocket um, and your perception of how healthy your diet can be, whether that's right or wrong. Interesting. I mean, certainly if you look at kind of population-led surveys, whether that's uh, Scotland-specific or across the UK, then you probably, that probably would play through. Generally, people with a bit more money in their pockets are more likely to eat, say, more fruit and veg and more fibre than than those lower income groups. So, but I mean, a third of the population, that, that's quite a lot. So presumably, Joanne, that means there is actually a good a good market for companies to to aim at if they're looking to improve the health of their product. Absolutely. And that was one of the key drivers that made us look at doing the research with Levercliff was to fully understand the consumer demand and the market insights for businesses to want to reformulate because it's all very well us trying to encourage food businesses to reformulate but if we can't show them that there is a need there and there's a demand and there will be a market for them for their reformulated products then it wouldn't have been there wouldn't have been that connect there so David's research has been really key for us looking at the next stage and how to communicate those figures into kind of tangible information for food businesses. Um, um, a little bit like I'm guessing there isn't just one consumer obviously there isn't just one business um, but even across the sectors, presumably both consumers are looking for something different. So, um, you know, thinking about myself, I, I might look for a different thing if I was picking up um, something for, for evening dinner to if I wanted a chocolate bar. So I guess first, David, is that is that true? Do consumers have a different view of the different sectors? And then maybe, Joanne, does that impact how you would work with a company? They do. And that's the great thing about the research is that we've we've asked them lots of detailed questions about different sectors. Um, so we've got a real broad span of opinions and comments about all different categories. Um, so, you know, 
I couldn't go into it in great detail today just because there's so much data there. Um, but what we've been able to do is pull together a, an overall business case for about four or five different sectors. Um, so we can take bakery, for example, and say, um, if people are buying for themselves, this is what they're interested in. If they're buying for their kids, this is what they're interested in. And um, do they want to know about the changes, which I think is really key. It's a question that Joanne and I have been asking ourselves right at the beginning. You know, Do we just say to recommend food companies, just take 10% of salt out all your products, don't tell your consumers, um, and they'll be fine with that? Or do you actively promote it to them? And that's, I think that's a really crucial question that we've got some answers to. Oh, that is really interesting, actually. So, so what is the answer? <laughs> do they tell them or don't they? Um, I think the answer varies by category, um, but in general, consumers want to know when something's been changed because they want to know that they've been encouraged to make a, a healthier choice. Um, so they want um, they want food manufacturers and suppliers to make these changes, and they think it's their responsibility to be making their diets healthier for them as well. So it's not just on the onus of the consumer, but the supplier should be helping them make healthier choices. Well, and of course, that, that kind of strategy of uh, health by stealth kind of then plays into that also a substantial part of the population who are actually saying, I don't really want anything to happen. And yet we know that typically um, actually lower socioeconomic groups will have poorer diets. So um, that kind of all ties together a little bit, doesn't it? But in terms of talking to the consumer then and companies telling people that, I find that really interesting because that's going to be quite a challenge with some of the changes just because of you know the various regulations around what people can say on PAC and claims you can make. Um, you have to have made a certain level of reduction, which might not be palatable all in one go for someone to do. And I assume that kind of conversation around, well, you can make 30% and make a claim, which great, if you're a parent looking for a lower sugar product for your kid, you might, you know, that might be something you're seeking out and is obviously a positive benefit to talk about versus, well, actually at the moment, I can only take the salt down by 5%, otherwise it's gonna impact the taste and, and so even if you wanted to, you couldn't tell the consumer. So I think, is that the sorts of discussions that you would get into with companies, Joanne, as they think about whether they should be reformulating? Yes, absolutely. Um, and like you say, as you were mentioning earlier, there's not one type of consumer. And in the same vein, there's not one type of food business either. What we see is a lot of food businesses willing to look at different ways to engage their consumer in their reformulation journey. So for some smaller businesses that have a much stronger link with the direct consumer, they may well engage regular customers um, to let them know what they're aiming to do. So yes, they may not be able to do any front pack labelling, but they may well have a, a focus group of local customers and they engage with them and say, we're, we're looking at reducing salt or fat within some of our products. And they've discussed what products that they're looking to reformulate and would they be open to buying them and then being involved in taste tests and sampling. At the end of the day, taste and cost are the two biggest drivers to all of us as consumers. And as long as we can show to consumers that the reformulated product, for all it may just be a slight gradual reduction, is still meeting the taste and cost expectations, then that's a success. I think it's key that we also explain with um, reformulation and especially with the Reformulation for Health programme with FDF Scotland, is we're looking at a holistic approach to reformulation. So it's not just the responsibility of the food manufacturer. We've been very strong in engaging with people all across the food chain. So we've been working with um, ingredient suppliers, caterers, local authorities, up to procurement teams, because the onus isn't just on 
a manufacturer, they need to see that the support is there for them to reformulate through different ingredients and alternative um, ingredients that they can use within the recipes, but also then the demand to drive and grow their business. So looking at um, whether it's contract caterers, procurement teams, local authority purchasing to make sure that that full um, holistic approach is, is there to support them. Yeah, great. So uh, it's easier for them to do it. And then it they've kind of almost got a guaranteed market out yeah. the other side as well. OK, that's really interesting. Have you got like an example of when you've worked with a supplier and just so people can see how that works? Um, yeah, there's a couple of good um, examples with the butchers rather than me maybe trying to engage with individual butcher chains or high street butchers within communities all across Scotland, which would obviously take up far too much time as one person. I can't possibly be everywhere. We decided to um, link with the local trade organisation, so with the Scottish Craft Butchers. So we work very closely with them. They've got over, I think it's about 300, 400 odd members. So that automatically gave me direct access to a much um, wider group. And then we've done some survey work with them to gather some details on who the key um, ingredient suppliers are. And then I've worked with some of the ingredient suppliers to look at them reformulating products. Because obviously if an ingredient supplier that supplies hundreds and hundreds of, of butchers across Scotland can reformulate to a lower salt or no added salt rusk, which is also higher in fibre, then that is a massive win. Rather than me dealing with one company, I've, I've taken a step back, worked with ingredient suppliers, and through one change of, that they've made, it's influenced um, the dietary health of some of some of the key top selling products that some of the butchers in Scotland sell. Yeah, no, I can see that. That's really interesting, isn't it? And in some ways, it's a little bit like the consumer saying, actually, yes, I do want to eat healthier, but I'm not quite sure how to do it, or I really like my sausages. And in the same way, with particularly with smaller companies, yes, I can see why this might have a benefit, and I'd quite like to get involved, but I just don't quite know what to do. So I guess part of your role is bringing together or finding out what the commonality is in those small businesses, yeah. working out the way of solving part of that problem that then they can all use. So you haven't just got hundreds of whatever it is, craft butchers or bakers all trying to do the same thing and not really quite knowing what to do. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. There's no point in everybody trying to reinvent the wheel. If we can find the solution, when we approach companies um, that we want to reformulate, then it makes it, as I said, a much easier process for them to want to get engaged in. Yeah, no, that, you touched there on the, the benefits to the companies. I think that's a really important thing as well is why should a company get involved? You know, because you're not going to want to make active changes to your products if you don't think there's going to be a benefit to your business. Um, you know, as much as we would like companies to to think that it's for the benefit of the greater good to make the products healthier, most businesses want to do something that's going to benefit the business as well. Um, and there's, I think what's really key here is that three quarters of consumers said that their perception of a company would stay the same or improve if they knew that they had reformulated a product. So it's a really high percentage saying that at worst, my perception will stay the same of this company, um, but it may well improve as well. And then when it comes to how much they're going to buy, you know, three quarters again said that they would continue, continue to buy the same amount um, or buy more from that company as well. So, you know, they're really big numbers of people saying that they're supportive, um, their, their perception might improve and they're going to buy the same or more product. So I think there's a real tangible benefit there as well. Yeah, and that's great because, as you say, of course, um, companies are only going to make products that are going to sell. And also thinking about the health benefits, if it doesn't sell, there's no 
there's no point in making it people have to want to eat it mm -hmm. clearly um so so then i guess are you two sort of pulling those things together so that you can you joanne can go out to companies and have this clear reasoning and kind of understanding to help companies sort of see that there could be a benefit here and i mean not to help them see it but that sounds a bit machiavellian uh but to really sort of tap into what could be um a new market even for them absolutely you fit the nail on the head kate so, i mean the whole purpose of us um involving um labor cliff to do the research was to find out these figures where where is the demand what is the what are consumers thinking about reformulation and then the next stage will be um, engaging more with businesses um, and finding out what their kind of enablers and challenges are to reformulation and then Levercliff and David will pull that together I think we're looking at hosting some webinars in the future so do um, keep a lookout for those they should hopefully be available um, in the next few months but yeah, it's really key that we, we make sure that information is communicated to food businesses in a timely way. And especially at the moment, as we're coming out, hopefully, of the COVID crisis and people are beginning to see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, that we all understand that health is as important as ever. Dietary health is, is as important as ever. And I think it's the, the right time for us to start this conversation with food businesses. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think that the current situation with COVID has certainly heightened people's or heighten how you think about your health and um, overarchingly what you might be able to do just to, to stay healthier. So I can see it's a great time to bring that to the fore, I guess, with companies, both in terms of them um, having products that people can eat, but also, of course, business owners are also just people. And, you know, we've all gone through COVID and lockdown, so it'll be quite top of mind for them as yeah. well, I'd have thought. So, so that's quite interesting. So you've obviously done this consumer piece of research, David, and then so the plan is there's going to be a kind of parallel piece of work or, or the next piece of work is going to be kind of a bit more business exploratory, is it? with business sectors um, so that we can say this is what consumers think about your category and here's what your peers think your challenges are in the sector as well so how can we marry those two things up so if consumers are really interested in reducing salt for example in one sector and then the sector says to us we're really finding it difficult to reduce salt levels then that's a challenge for Joanne is to see how we can unlock that problem but at least we know there's a problem there for example um, so I think it's just trying to identify challenges and then put enablers in place for them um, and go into businesses with a full business case that says we understand your challenges and here's how to how to help and is part of your job then Joanne also kind of just picking that up on so like say there's a specific nutrient is that do you do some mapping around I don't know if it's sausages I'm assuming it's salt and if it's cakes it's you know maybe sugar and fat or how do you get fiber in so do you look at the kind of the type of product and map that to the Scottish diet and see where you might get the best improvements? That's a real good question Kate um, I wouldn't say that we have mapped specific products um, the aim of the reformulation for health program is to support um, SMEs as I've said 95% of the businesses in Scotland food manufacturing businesses in Scotland are SMEs so as we said before, there's not one consumer, there's not one food business. So there's a huge breadth of businesses that we could be engaged in. But the key target that I've been given is to work with commonly consumed products. So not niche products, not a one-off, but looking at commonly consumed products. So obviously we've linked with things like the out-of-home research that Food Standards Scotland have done. We've looked at some of the Scottish dietary research and looked at commonly consumed products. And yes, that's helped mould the products that we're looking at, because obviously there's there's no point in doing the programme if it's just going to be 
as I said, niche products we're working with. We want to look at commonly consumed um, products. And that's what I'm also doing with some of the trade organizations and businesses we're working with. I don't want to I don't want them to reformulate a product that they sell a couple of a week. I want them to look at their top sellers. And then we look at a common ingredient that runs across those top sellers. So whether it is a seasoning or a mix that they use, it goes into various products that are our top sellers. And then we work back and reformulate that product as well. Right. OK, I see. And yeah, of course, it makes sense that, um, again, in terms of if you're thinking about this from a health perspective, of course, you want it to be the things that people actually generally eat. Yeah. Although presumably that means you have to be a slightly better saleswoman to get the companies to actually want to touch those products. Um, so is that the way you describe that then? Are you working across sort of, or have you put this into kind of specific sectors that you're aiming at? So we've already talked about butchery and, and sausages. Have you got other sectors that you've been particularly keen to kind of work with? Yes, absolutely, Kate. Linked again to the research we're doing with David, we've highlighted five key sectors that we want to um, engage with and do a bit more of a deep dive into um, their businesses. So we've got dairy, butchery and meat products, bakery and biscuit manufacturers, ready meals and pizzas and um, snacking, so sweet snacking and, and things like that too. So we've got five key sectors that we're looking at um, engaging with. On top of that, um, we're open to obviously work with any any type of food um, business across Scotland. In fact, some food service companies have been engaged with us as well, wanting to look at changes that they can make more within their kitchen and through their procurement of what Scottish products they're buying in to make sure they're the healthiest that they can be. Certainly are. Um, and so dairy, presumably that's sort of what, ice cream and yoghurt? Yes, um, and obviously in Scotland we've, we've recently had um, some changes to the Food and Drink in Schools regulations, um, which have made some slight amendments to products like yoghurt. So um, I am working with some Scottish-based manufacturers that will be providing into schools. So there's a, there, is a, there is a need there for reformulation, not just for Scottish consumers as a whole, but also looking at the, the schools markets as well. So looking at linking with procurement teams and local authorities and things to make sure that the, pro, the right products are ready when they need them for the schools. Yeah. OK. Now, that's interesting. And as you say, of course, that's a whole new market. Well, not a new market, but it's uh, as it's changed, people might need to rethink about what they're supplying in. So presumably help to change those products would be really welcomed yeah so i mean you, you've mentioned quite a lot about uh, small businesses there and um how they make up the majority actually of scottish new businesses and actually in my day job i'm generally working with the much larger companies and so i'm kind of quite well aware of the challenges that they might face but i'm guessing with as a small business you might face some sort of different challenges yes i think i mean for all all businesses especially at the moment They've all got similar challenges of time and resource. I think especially for an SME, there's the added challenge of technical support and knowledge. Um, very few SMEs will have a full technical NPD, EPD department within them, and that's where we can provide that support. So any businesses that maybe are seeing a, a gap in, in the process for them to reformulate a product, we can certainly step in and assist them. So whether that is linking them with academia um, that may be able to support them, whether they maybe need access to some funding or grants to enable them to reformulate, we can do that too. But likewise, it may just be some smaller businesses who want to link into maybe providing to a local um, contract case or they want to grow their business and don't see how they can do that without reformulation. So we can link in in a variety of different ways. Um, my role is is almost as a connector. So I can I will connect 
find out what the people's problems are and then kind of create a bespoke plan on what their issues are and how we can help um, them to reformulate successfully. So then I connect them up with whatever support is required. Okay. Wow, that's a really interesting job <laughs> and really wide reaching then. <laughs> and also, I guess you, I think you did mention this, but just to bring it out, I think a little bit more. So obviously you sit within FDF Scotland um, and as FDF, we represent food and drink manufacturers. But actually, this programme is much broader, isn't it? You work with all types of food businesses. Yes, very much so. Um, and that's one thing that we've had to work quite hard to make clear to food businesses is that my work is open to any form of food business across Scotland, whether they're members of FDF Scotland or not. And yeah, and my, my role, as you said, comes from Scottish Government. So it's it's one of the key actions in the A Healthier Future, which is Scotland's diet and healthy weight strategy. It's open to all. Yeah, okay. So any food business across Scotland who is interested in how they might help uh, or how they might look at their food and change it for health can contact you and talk about what that might look like, maybe using some of David's data around why that might be important to them. And then you can suggest either funding or a research partner or uh, how maybe they could link in with a, a group of similar businesses who are and sort of support each other through that process. Yep. And just as we do this next stage of research as well um, for all different companies, that is open to all companies as well. So it's, it's a good time for any food business in Scotland or drink business. Um, to get their views across and the challenges they've got about reformulation as well. So that, that survey will be going out um, end of June and through to the start of July. Um, how will you be um, sending that survey out? How does someone get on to it? If companies are members of FDF Scotland just now, um, they'll get it through FDF Communications and we'll also be posting it publicly as well. So. Great. OK. And then, Joanne, if someone just wanted to get in touch with you, is that all right? Can they do that? Yes, absolutely. Um, we're more than happy to start the conversation. I think that's that would be one of the, the great outcomes of, of our podcast is if anyone's sitting listening and thinks, actually, maybe I should start thinking about this, is just contact us. Either go to the FDF Scotland website or I have a direct um, email, which is reformulation at fdfscotland.org.uk, where they can get in touch um, and we can we can start the conversation and hopefully start them in their reformulation journey. So thank you for uh, listening to this podcast from FDF Scotland. You can find out more about our work, so not just reformulation, but across lots of uh, topics that are key to the industry at the moment. Um, so find out more about our work. And if you're a food business, of course, we'd love you to join us as well. So look at our website, which is www.fdfscotland.org.uk.